Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money only on Money FM 89.3. When the Fed moves fast to hike rates, as it signaled it's prepared to do in a scramble to rein in U.S. inflation running at its hottest since the early 1980s, what could that translate to for global stock markets and your portfolio? On the other hand, are we seeing an easing of bets on an outsized interest rate hike and instead increasing unease and an increase in haven demand on the back of Russia-Ukraine tensions? Joining me this morning is Robert Hoffman, Head of Investment Council City Private Bank in South Asia. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Before we get to City Private Banking's views on the Fed's reaction to inflation, could we get your assessment of the current risks, specifically the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, the crisis in Europe deepening this morning with Russian military units headed into two separatist regions of the Ukraine? How far has the market priced in these risks? I think the market's taking it on a day-to-day basis. All of these headlines seem to be surprising markets in the slightest, but the market moves that you're seeing are relatively minor relative to the the implications longer term of of what this could mean. I don't think we're looking at a full-scale military conflict, but there certainly are some worrying uh, problems that that you can encounter if sanctions do get set in on Russia and the corresponding countermeasures that Russia would then take. So it it remains to be seen, but I think you rightly highlighted earlier on, uh, talking about Ned Davis and some of their views, this thing, so these types of geopolitical events tend to have a, a quick hit to markets, but then recover usually within six months or so, which we saw the last time Russia invaded uh, Crimea a few years back. U.S. futures are down. Oil and gold are up. What is your read of the market's reaction so far? It's what you would expect, especially when you talk about uh, Russia and, and, and that part of the world. You start to think about the implications on energy and oil specifically. So what we're seeing with oil prices, I think, is is part and parcel with, with the headline risk that you're seeing. Our view, though, is that structurally those oil prices probably come down sometime around mid-year to the third quarter, though they could in the short term spike uh, considerably higher into the, the, even the, the triple digits. If the crisis does deepen, could this reshape the U.K.'s reliance on Russian gas, do you think? I think that's a very long, slow progression that could take years to to enact. You you can't just turn over an entire energy grid overnight. Mm -hmm. But I do think you start to to, to wean a little bit against that reliance on some of that natural gas that comes out of Russia. And you start to look at liquid natural gas uh, exports from the U.S., for example. You start to look at alternative energy sources, et cetera. So I think it does accelerate that course, especially as you talk about some of the developments that we've seen recently in alternative energies. As we see investors flock to safety, what impact could this have on gold, which we saw rise above 1900 for the first time since June and just about five days ago? Gold is, is an interesting asset class. Just when you think you have it pegged as to what it actually does and what it is, it, it ends up changing its its uh, its view So or it changes its, its complexion. The issue with gold is that it, it tends to be a better harbinger of expected fear in markets, but not necessarily a good reactive measure of what's actually taking place in markets. So it's a flight to safety in the short term, but that money, usually that flight to safety is very short-lived. So where we don't, gold we're constructive on, but not necessarily extremely bullish on. What you could see more likely in some of the shorter term and in the commodity space sticking there is more of the industrial metals. Because we do think that the expansion is likely to continue globally. And some of the industrial metals have, have really been downtrodden based on some of the short-term supply uh, disruptions that we've seen in auto parts, for example, and other parts of the sector. So those areas are likely to roar back probably sometime around mid-year again. 
Robert Hoffman is head of investment counselors, City Private Bank in South Asia. Robert, let's look at the Fed's reaction to inflation and what this could mean for markets. Will the speed of the Fed raising rates, a fast cycle of monetary tightening, uh, differ in terms of impact on the market's performance from, say, a slow cycle? It, it depends. It's really hard to try to project. You're, you're dealing with a lot of, of inputs that are coming in right now. And, and the best I can describe what the Fed's position is today is mm-hmm. it's like driving a car where there's a 10 second delay function on the steering wheel and the brake and the gas mm-hmm. so that they have to you have to think about driving a car in that sort of environment. And that's what the Fed is stuck with right now. So they're trying to figure out what's the right level of accelerator, what's the right level of brake to apply to the market, anticipating where it's likely to go in the coming months with everything else that's in the headline right now. And so it becomes really difficult for the Fed to try to navigate that. With that said, I do think, and we are proponents of, even though you've seen easing of some of the bets in in markets around a 50 basis points hike in in March, we we do think that's actually probably more likely than not because the inflation measures are probably stickier than we think that they are. And certainly the the Fed has been surprised with with some of the stickiness of some of these inflation measures. And so while they're starting to to jawbone and say, we'll we'll go a little bit slower with rates, uh, our expectation is, they actually could take a more aggressive tax at the very beginning and have to do less in the long term. But if they try to stretch this out over time, mm. the pain could actually be prolonged. The stock market's short-term performance hasn't been quite stellar. How have investors reacted so far to what the Fed has communicated on uh, its approach to changing monetary policy? Yeah, it's followed a historical playbook, which is typically what happens around Fed hiking cycles is that you see some of the growth stocks start to sell off, which is exactly what we've seen. The difference with this market cycle, which is a bit similar, but I don't want to tie it too closely to what we saw in 1997, uh, you start to see those tech valuations that had grown much faster than the overall market are typically the first ones to fall, and they typically fall much faster than the overall market. The difference between now and 1997 is that those companies made up such a significant portion of the S&P 500 because of how fast they'd grown in prior years years, but now they're having an outsized impact on uh, the overall S&P index. But if you look at things like the equal weighted index, you, you start to get a better sense for how corporate performance is coming in in, in, the price, in the form of stock prices. And that hasn't been necessarily as bad as what you've seen in some of the, the headline names. If the Fed does possibly overreact to um, the end of an inflationary boom, what could this mean for higher quality U.S. growth stocks? So, and that's the interesting part. When you look historically at these things, and by the way, this is, a, this is an outstanding question to focus on for all investors. But when you look at those quality names, those companies with high free cash flow that, that have durable earnings that are going to be unassailed by whims of investors, those are companies that typically tend to perform poorly before or in t- anticipation of a Federal uh, Reserve interest rate hike. But shortly thereafter, sometime around mid-cycle during the hiking, which in this case would translate to sometime around July of this year, uh, is when you start to see the bottoms in, in some of those really quality names and they start to differentiate themselves and go up in price. So we think that likely by July of this year, you're going to see, especially if the Fed follows the expected path that markets do think they're going to take, mm-hmm. you, you could see some strength in, in those names. And finally, how can investors, well, second last question, so not quite finally, <laughs> how can investors best prepare for rising interest rates in terms of positioning their portfolios? And this is one another big question that we've seen. And, and I think if you look at some of the economic data, there's a couple of interesting phenomenon that are, that are lying just beneath the surface. Number one, as any advisor in, in the investment space will tell you today, clients have been very aggressive about raising cash. And mm-hmm. so in anticipation that rates are going to rise, they've, they've ended up adding more cash to their balance sheet and selling off some of those holdings that have, have done really well. 
in the U.S., where you see a concentration of assets, the, the tax issue starts to come in, into play as well, because in March and April, you see a lot of tax selling, where people will sell their assets in order to finance the cost of their tax bill that comes up in April. So when that does happen, it, it, it tends to put a little bit more of a drag on some of those names that have continued to win. So if clients, have, if in anticipation of that, have started to raise cash, that's a cycle that's likely to continue, and it's probably the worst time to be raising cash in the sense that inflation has not been this high in many, many years. And inflation is a huge drag on cash assets. So we just this past weekend have recommended to clients, if you're going to sit on cash assets, the best place to take those cash assets right now mm -hmm. is to begin to add two specific assets. Number one, floating rate loans. If you have no exposure to floating rate loans, which are senior bank loans, that is one of the best places for you to put your money right now because those interest rates actually move up as interest rates move up from the Federal Reserve. So it's a really positive impact on your overall portfolio without losing purchasing power. The second area is that you, it's interesting, but intermediate treasuries, so two to five-year treasury bills, they've rallied almost 125 basis points over the last 12 months. And if we look at any historical hiking cycle, that is the biggest increase we've ever seen intra hiking cycle. So we haven't even started the hiking cycle yet, which makes it really interesting. There's very little risk, I think, in the long end of rates overshooting that mark. So there's real safety in that in your portfolio in case something does unexpectedly happen, whether it's with coronavirus variants or it's other geopolitical concerns. So those are the two main trades I would talk about now. If I have time, I, I could possibly add a third one in there, which is yep. what's happening in China as well. Please. And while the headline risk there is tending to weigh on markets, longer term, these are very positive changes that are happening structurally within China. And there's a lot of money. There's so many different factors that can point to this. And they're all green flags that tell you that this should be the time to start taking positioning in Chinese equities and Chinese credit markets. Great insights. Robert, you recently wrote a terrific article for our sister publication, The Business Times, uh, where you looked at the difference between the stay-at-home portfolio and the reopening, a get-out-of-home portfolio, so to speak. So can you give our listeners your take um, as it stands today on the reopening trade and positioning the get-out-of-home portfolio? Yeah, it's played out almost exactly as very few things ever play out exactly as you expect, but this has really done that. And it was purely a function of what you're seeing in markets right now. As people decide to leave their homes, you stop leaning so heavily on some of the technology names, some of the higher growth names. Economic growth tends to pick up. There's a shift in consumer spending away from me and into services. And it's exactly what we've seen. In fact, consumer goods spending in the U.S. over the past 12 months has actually fallen about six and a half percent. So if you can believe that, that, that we see these inflationary pressures in spite of the spending actually dropping. Now, some of that spending is because the goods aren't available. But by and large, what we're seeing is that the money is actually shifting into services, things like travel and leisure. And these are areas that we continue to think are, are going to be durable as we go forward, albeit it's going to be somewhat regionally based on, on what the restrictions are in place. So in North Asia right now, in China and Hong Kong, obviously the COVID zero policies are going to restrict a little bit of that, that leisure travel and some of your home basket types of names. Mm -hmm. But in the U.S., where they've really, in Australia for that matter, where they've recently dropped a lot of those restrictions, there's a lot of opportunity still, uh, and you're still early in that trade for some of those leave your home names. Terrific speaking with you, Robert. Thank you for joining us. Likewise, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.